Are you good? I hope so. Are you having a good weekend? Yeah. My weekend has been good as well. I uh, actually just got done visiting with my sister um, on Saturday night. We had her over for burgers and her and my brother-in-law and their new-ish baby who's five months old. His name is Remington. Yeah, isn't that a killer name? Yes. Get out your guns, man. It's awesome. Now, he is, uh, he, he's a great kid, man. He's super smiley all of a sudden. He's really fun, and I just really enjoyed my time with him. He, he kind of looks like the Michelin Man. He seriously is so fat. It's awesome. He's just a beast. I hope that he um, actually protects my son when they get older. It'll be great. So my son already has a built-in bodyguard. But, uh, you know, another thing that I found us doing this weekend, it's actually become quite a routine for us, is we try to get out on a 30-minute run uh, on our weekend at least once. And what we tend to do is we either start at our house or we drive to a park, but we always end up at a coffee shop because you got to stay hydrated, right? And so we always grab a coffee and then we'll walk back to either our house or we'll walk back to the park that we drove to. Wherever we we started, we'll just drive back. And we found this to be very helpful, very valuable to us. One, we have a two-year-old. So yeah, time together is limited. Uh, We also, uh, you know, get interrupted a lot. And and so we're like, man, maybe we could strap him in the stroller, walk, talk, visit, catch up. And so Kimberly and I, this last weekend, I found us talking a lot about Planned Parenthood and the controversy that's all around that right now. And as we talked more and more about it, I I started to sense that we just, as a couple, started to feel this weight of, oh man, things are not the way they should be. Man, things are hard. This is a tough, tough world that we live in. God did not intend it to be this way. And so when we were talking all about this, we actually uh, came to the conclusion, man, what, what could we do? How could we join God in making things better? You know, the thing about bad news is that it's not old news. It's uh, something that's been around forever. Uh, 21st century, there's really nothing new under the sun. Paul the Apostle he actually dealt with some of this uh, with a church in Corinth. Um, man, the church in Corinth was messed up. It was dealing with a lot of things that are outside of what God intended for us. And so Paul writes some letters to Corinth and in an effort to help, in an effort to, to make things better, in an effort to join God in what he was doing. Corinth metropolitan area, uh, much like Portland. Uh, many ships were at bay there. Um, also, a lot of urban characteristics. Really a culture that's very diverse. Um, and amongst those good things, there's also some bad things. There was sexual immorality. There was a religious diversity. So there's many gods being worshipped. Also, there's a ton of corruption. And so the church in Corinth started to dabble in some of these things. And again, Paul trying to, to, to make things better, trying to join God in what he is doing. He does something. And so as I read this text and I studied this text, I'm like, man, what could we do? Because again, I don't know if I'm the only one, but when I hear bad news, a lot of it, I mean, we turn on the television for five minutes, the news for five minutes, and it's all, it seems like it's all bad. 
we start to, to feel this weight. And it's paralyzing. It really is. It's, what could we do? And tonight I want to look at this text and I want to see some things that we can do as a church, that we can do as individuals in a world that really isn't the way God intended it to be. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 or a device. That's where we're going to be hanging out. As I looked at this text, one of the things that I actually see run throughout these letters that Paul wrote was that of deep affection. Paul has deep affection, deep love, deep care for the church in Corinth. We see this in the language. There's brothers or dear brothers or grace to you, peace to you. I think this is important to note because I want you to feel this from us as a leadership. I want you to feel this from us as pastors, from us as elders. We have a deep affection for you. We want you to experience life in Jesus. We want you to mature. We want you to grow in greater ways. We want you to be in love with the one true God so, so badly. Let's pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul says this, It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. In your Bibles, you should see a phrase with quotations around it. Paul ripped this phrase from Psalm 116. I'd like to read some of the psalm this evening, and we're just going to read nine verses of it. So I, I, got, I put it on the screen for you so you don't have to turn there. It says this, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. And then I called in the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion and the Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Psalm 116 is all about God and his care. Really, the psalmist is thanking God for his care. This psalmist was being attacked People wanted him dead. People wanted to hurt him. And we're hearing a thankfulness for God's care. Paul quotes the Psalms because he has been in similar circumstances. He's thankful to God for his care. And he's not just thankful for God's care through the lowercase emergencies, but also the big emergency of death, the spiritual death. Paul is thankful to God that he has been saved. Let's look at verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says this, Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. I don't want to make any assumptions tonight, but we talk about the gospel here at sunset all the time. And so 
I, I just want to be clear on, on what that is. What is the gospel? And just kind of give you a brief synopsis of what that is. I, I want to use Romans 5 tonight. You don't need to turn there. But I'm going to start reading from verse 12. It's up on the screen. It says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. Verse 15, let's skip down to that. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? In its simplest form, this is it. Everyone sinned. Adam, you, me. God doesn't sin. He's perfect. And God loves us enough to deal with our sin. How did he deal with our sin? Well, we were separated from God. God sent his son, Jesus, to pay a price so that you and I could be restored to God. Our sin can be removed through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Paul is thankful for God's care on all kinds of levels. He's thankful for the small rescues, but he's also thankful for the eternal rescue. So what about now? In light of the gospel, in light of what God has done, how do I make sense of the craziness that's going on in this world? What should I do? Look at verse 15 in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Man, in this crazy world, what should we do? We should worship. When headlines are lame, we should worship Jesus and his eternal kingdom. Circumstances don't drive us. Jesus does. Jesus leaves us thankful now. Despite what we're experiencing, he leaves us thankful now by fixing our attention on the future salvation in Christ, we can find strength in the disappointments and hardships right now. I don't know about you guys, but pain's real. And I think it's important for us just to pause for a moment and acknowledge this reality. It is. It's painful. It hurts. Some of you tonight may be walking in a ton of pain. I've been married for 10 years. I'm going to tell you right now, year eight, this is the hardest year in our marriage. What we walked through was so difficult. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. 
one thing we did was we transitioned. I transitioned a job. I used to be a youth pastor. And in the transition, there was just a lot of weirdness and a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. So we walked through that. It was hard and it was just so difficult. And then literally, I'm not kidding you, in the same month, one of our students, one of our previous students, she was in college. She was riding her bike on the way home. And she got hit by a car and she died. The night before, she held my baby boy. We love this girl to death. She's wonderful. It's like you, you sit in this time of pain, this time of hurt. You sit and you go, God, why? Like she was young. She was serving you. She loved you. Why? And you sit in this pain and you hurt. And I want to tell you this evening that God does not waste pain. He does not waste it. He takes it and he turns it for our good, for others' good, for God's glory. Let me give you a couple examples. One is me standing right here with you. I prayed and asked God a ton. I said, God, man, I'm transitioning. I don't even know if you want me in ministry anymore. I don't even know what you have in store. But God, it would be awesome if maybe you could, you could hook me up at a place where maybe I could use some of my gifting, some of the things that I'm praying about. Like, God is good. Kimberly and I laugh all the time. Like, this church is way too cool for us. Like, we're not cool enough. Like, we love it here. God has blessed us here. So, so much. He didn't waste the pain. Another, another thing that, that recently happened a couple months ago. You know, I'm telling you that in year eight, this was super hard. Two years later, we're still walking through some of it. God is still bringing us through. There's some shrapnel that we're still experiencing in our lives. But here's the deal. God, I think it's in his providence. <laughs> it was his plan we locked up with somebody and they asked for prayer with, about something that we personally are dealing with. I think in that moment, God gave us goodness. Like, man, God, we're not the only people walking in this. But then also for the other person, I think it was for their good as well. They got to go, wait, I'm not the only one experiencing it. And then we both got to pray, God, we need your help. It was for his glory. Friends, God does not waste pain. He does not. And, and I think I do want to take it seriously. There, I, I'm sure there's people here tonight that are experiencing pain. Experiencing hardship because it's real. And I want you to be encouraged I even want to encourage you to, man, before you leave, if you're experiencing suffering, if you're experiencing pain, grab the person that brought you or the person sitting next to you and just pray with one another. Bring it to Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Paul continues in chapter five, describing this idea of fixing our eyes on what is seen versus what is unseen. Chapter 5, verse 1, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, 
an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan in our burden because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. In other words, we're camping I sat across the, uh, the room from, we were having dinner with some of our missional community coaches. And one of the, I was just asking them, hey, what are you guys doing? What's been going on this last weekend? Did you have a good weekend? And one of them was like, yeah, we went camping. So I was like, okay, tell me more. And he's telling me how fun it is. And honestly, I wasn't convinced at all. <laughs> I'm just gonna be straight with you, all right? You can take me camping. I'll go camping one You ask my family to go, we're not going. It is a whole ton of work for not a whole lot of fun. I mean, that's what I was hearing from this guy. It's like, yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, it was awesome. We had a really good time. Such a liar. (laughs) That's what this text is all about. Like, we're camping, friends. Camping is lame. Take my family to the five-star hotel. Let's go. That is what this text is saying. We get to experience a hope in the future. A kingdom that Jesus has set up. A kingdom with no tears, no suffering, no pain. What a great day it will be when we are with Jesus forever. The good news, though, is following Jesus right now, we get glimpses of this kingdom. Paul taught that current earthly life is not entirely void of God's future blessing. Jesus' followers have already received the Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Here, Paul uses a business analogy of a down payment that guaranteed full payment in the future. Verse 6, let's continue reading. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident. And I say we'd prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him. Whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. In other words, those who have genuinely placed their faith in Christ, you will demonstrate to one degree or another their salvation by by living to please God. So again, when we're feeling the hardships, when we're feeling the weight of the world, what can we do? What can we do? Well, we can please God. I've already mentioned a couple of things that I believe please God. Number one, be thankful. Have thankful worship. Two, remember this is not your home. We're camping. Both these things please God. 
Let's continue and find out what else pleases him. Verse 11, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend others, excuse me, commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. It is pleasing to God for us to have a proper fear of the Lord. Oftentimes, I think we fear men more than we fear God. And it, it causes us to not move, causes us to not do anything. And so I think we need to have a proper fear of God. What does this look like? We need to have God or look at God and have a correct awe for him. We need to be in awe of him. We need to remember what he's capable of. Friends, God in his holiness would be totally justified sending us all to hell. That's how perfect he is and that's how rotten we are. But in his great mercy, he sent his son to die on our behalf so that we could be with him forever. This is a gift. Will you receive it? Do we know what God's capable of? Do you know that what he's called us to is good? Do you trust him? Sometimes we're like, oh no, that's not a good idea, God. That is not awe. That is not fear. Again, am I, am I talking about walking around going, hey, God's going to strike me with a lightning bolt unless I live correctly. No, that's not the fear I'm talking about. I'm talking about a proper fear. To be in awe of God. The church in Corinth needed to grow in their fear of the Lord. Verse 14, for Christ, love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from the worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. What's another thing we can do to please God? Well, we can live for God rather than ourselves. Christ died that we might live through him, for him, and with him. Friends, it's easy to live for self. And I'm telling you tonight, it's not fulfilling. It's not what you were built for. You were built for God, by God, for God. It's in this that we're fulfilled. It's in this that we were made for. We also see that the text says that as we live, we should let love compel us. We love because God first loved us. Let his love for you motivate you to follow him in greater ways. Also, see people as Jesus sees people. Friends, 
do we see people as lost sheep without a shepherd? Or do we see them as like, man, I can't believe what that guy just did. What do you expect? They're not following Jesus. I think it's funny when we expect non-Christians to live like Christians. What? Let love compel you to serve them, to bring them Jesus. Let love compel you as you live your life. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the message of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What else pleases the Lord? That we would give the message that we would give the message of reconciliation. Be restored to God. God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Do we persuade others of this great news? Friends, does love compel us to give people the message of reconciliation? Uh, That's difficult. I know he gave us the spirit though to help us, to empower us. Kenny, but how how do I do this? Well, okay, you're you're a neighbor. Most likely, most of you are a neighbor, if not all of you are a neighbor. Well, how do I reach out to my neighbor? How do I I bring the message of reconciliation to my neighbor? Well, I'll have just a starting point. Be a good neighbor. In word and in deed, bring the message of reconciliation to those in your sphere of influence. Guys, I promise you that if you engage your neighbor, if you let love compel you, I promise you that God will give you an opportunity to bring his message of reconciliation into the conversation. Like I told you earlier, Kimberly and I, We frequent coffee shops. We tend to go to the same one. A few months back, I met a barista. And all I said to him was this. How's it going? He said, oh, I'm nervous. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting, yeah, I'm good. I asked him, why are you nervous? Well, I'm getting married for the second time. Oh. Well, man, I I really hope that goes great for you. I hope that there's an awesome celebration. I hope that, that you really just are just blessed in this marriage, man. It's like, well, thanks. And then I ordered my coffee and that was it. Kept going back, kept going back, seeing him, saying hi to him, trying to leave the door open for conversation. I gave him my number. I got a text. 
I'm not going to share the details of the text, but in a nutshell, it said this, I need help. The message of reconciliation. I'm not kidding you. Myself and one of the elders here prayed for him. We prayed in this room for him. He's been in this church. God is bringing this world to himself. God is restoring this world to himself. It's the good news. How do we please him? We bring the message of reconciliation. So to recap, what are some ways that Paul's saying, hey, let's please God. How can we do that? One, thankful worship. Be thankful for what God has rescued you from. Be thankful for what God's saving you from today. Trust him. Love him more than anything else. Be thankful. Remember, we're camping. This is a small, small snippet in our story. There's a great future of hope ahead. Fear God. Have a proper fear of God. Are you in awe of him? Live for God. Stop living for yourself. Live for him. Number five, give the message of reconciliation or restoration. Invite people to be restored to God through the message of the gospel. I'm going to have Brandon come up and lead us in worship in a few minutes, but... I think that the real question we need to ask as I'm you know, reminded of what we all learned in this text, I think, I think the real question is how do we respond today? And I think one is, man, where could you grow in pleasing God? Those five areas. Man, I know I could. Where might you grow in those five areas? 